how powerful the church is in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Well, I want to thank you all for your birthday wishes. Yes, I am 40. Um, 40 sounded really old back in the day, but I'm just telling you, I feel young. I, I feel so young. I got more energy now than I've maybe ever had. I'm so excited about what I get to do. I love my job. I love LifeSpring. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm just seriously wanting to learn how to dance so that I don't embarrass people with my dancing, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you for those birthday wishes. I'll tell you, I do think it was appropriate, and maybe you've done this in your own life, to kind of just take this marker, take this milestone as an opportunity to reflect. Have you ever done that with your life? It's good just to take that time to reflect. And so this week, I've been reflecting on my life. And I'll just tell you, a praise has been rising up. Maybe that's why I'm so excited today. Because I know who I am outside of Christ. But I also know who I am in Christ. And I'm so excited about who I am in Christ Jesus today. And so I've been spending some time with God. I'd say it was quality time with God. Anybody in the house today ever spend quality time with God before? Right? Isn't that beautiful? And then isn't there that little conviction that says, yeah, maybe I should spend a little more quality time with God. But what do you do when you're spending time with God? Will you spend some time talking to Him? Hopefully you don't talk the whole time. (laughs) Right? Have you ever done that before where you are, are talking to the Lord and then you're like, okay, see you, God. And you realize you never allowed Him to speak to you. But you you talk to God. He talks to you. We'd call it a conversation. It's emotional. Have you ever gotten emotional with God before? Have you ever gotten angry with God before? Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that God's big enough for every emotion, even your anger? Isn't that beautiful? So we have this relationship. And this week I was doing that, just spending that quality time. In the church, we got a church name for it. You know what we call that? We call it prayer. Amen, Angie. We call it prayer. And I just want to encourage you, like I was thinking about this week, I have a hunch, you can disagree with this, but I have a hunch that there are probably more people right now in this world praying than maybe ever before in my lifetime. I was thinking probably some of you maybe are praying more right now than maybe you have in your lifetime. But you know, just as we prayed for those teachers and the parents and the students, the power in that time, this is so important that we understand that. The power in that time wasn't just that we were praying. The power was in who we were praying to. Does that make sense? Right? The, the power isn't just in the exercise of prayer. The power was in who we were praying to. Prayer, by the way, is an instrument. Prayer is just a tool for us to spend time with the one who is power. The one who, in the name of Jesus, just as Mary sang so beautifully, the power is the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine by his power Within us. And, and so I was thinking about it this week, even though there's people all over this world that are praying right now. Unfortunately, and this might sound harsh, but I believe this to be true. Unfortunately, many people right now all over this world are praying powerless, ineffective prayers because they're praying the wrong prayers to the wrong God. Because, again, the power is not just in praying, the exercise of praying. Have you ever had someone say, oh, I'm thinking good thoughts for you? What does that mean? The power, thank you, nothing. The power is in who you are praying to. That's why as Christians, our prayers are so powerful. That's why right now in our community, we are seeing amazing things happen because what we pray to the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, some of you might remember one of my former associate pastors, Adam Henderson. Anyone remember Hendo? 
Yeah, come on. He's now a senior pastor in Canton, for, uh, Canton, Texas. The church is called Radiant Church. He's one of my best friends. And I'm just going to be honest, he's a way better pastor than I am. He's got to be one of the best pastors on the planet. And he and I were talking a few weeks ago, and we said, you know, how cool would that be? How awesome would it be if our two churches, one in Texas, one in Washington State, joined together during this season, partnering with each other in seeking the face of God and seeking his kingdom to come to earth on, or on earth as it is in heaven. And we started getting goosebumps, like, can you imagine? Like, in the United States, we got the South and the West covered in the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. And and I'm pretty excited about this. As you can tell, it's going to be awesome. We're going five weeks, and we're going to spend time seeking the Lord in prayer. Not just in Edgewood, Washington, but Canton, Texas. And we're going to see what God is going to do. I I, I cannot wait. In the Bible, uh, you're going to see this incredible passage. We covered it a few months ago in Luke 11, where one of the disciples asked maybe one of the best questions you could ever ask Jesus. If you were following Jesus, I cannot think of a better question to ask Jesus. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. How do you pray? And Jesus gives him the answer, and that's what we're going to cover over the next five weeks. So please engage, press in, lean in. Man, if you're on Facebook, I, I watched a couple of weeks ago when I was really, really sick, and I had to watch on Facebook. I'll just encourage you from my own experience. First, get a really good cup of coffee. That's very important. Get the snacks, right? If you're hungry, the fridge is like 100 feet away. So get the snacks now. But also, set aside the distractions. Set aside, you know the ones I'm talking about. Set aside the distractions. Settle in. The Lord has a word for us today. But before you go any further, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so excited today because there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer because it's to you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that even mountains can move with a faith as small as a mustard seed. And that's what we're believing today. We are willing to give our lives to this, that we would sacrifice and lay low and walk in humility to walk according to your plans and your purposes. And in this series, Lord, we just want to come to an agreement and in agreement with what you're doing in this region. We're, we're, we're really wanting more than anything to have your heart, to have your purposes and your intentionality, not only in our minds and our hearts, but on our lips, that we would begin to speak the things uh, of your heart, Lord, into this region. And that as we pray and as we partner with this church in Texas, that we would begin to see things shift, things shift, shift in the heavenlies and on earth, Lord, that things would begin to move like never before. And we believe, we have confidence, this is not a wasted season, but this is the season of productivity and movement and going forward in the name of Jesus. And so, church, would you pray this with me out loud as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And you could not do what we just did about 20 minutes ago without having Pastor Laura give the message today. Would you give it up one more time for Pastor Laura Ranow? Thank you, guys. It is... uh humbling 
and um, just so incredible to stand here as pastor. And the journey that I've taken, you have all been a part of it. And I cannot thank you enough for your prayers and your support and just loving on me through this time. And Pastor Dan, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And he brought me in his office and said, Laura, I think you need to be a pastor. And I promptly ran away for a year and a half and said, mm-mm, you heard him wrong. Um, <laughs> but God knew. And I just stand here just so humbled and blessed and excited to see what the Lord is going to do. Amen. So exciting. So we get to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Um, and those of us that have been raised in church or spent any length of time of church, you probably know the Lord's Prayer. Um, some of us may have heard it been called the Our Father. Right? And it's interesting to get a group of believers in the room with the Lord's Prayer when it's like not up on the screen. And I, and I kind of noticed it a little bit now when we're praying. Because, you know, there's that one place where we all get hung up that if we know this prayer, forgive us our debts. Or it could be trespasses, right? It depends on what denomination you were raised in and how you learned it. And you kind of hear that hesitancy when we get to that part. You know, is it going to be debts? Is it going to be debtors? Is it going to be trespasses? How are we going to go here? And then we all kind of mumble through that part and blend it together. You know, it's good, but pray for our debts as our trespasses. And then we just kind of move on. (laughs) But the Lord's Prayer is an amazing part of Scripture. Um, But I remember as a kid really not appreciating it very much at all because we usually said it at the end of our service. And by then, I was ready to go have snack. So they, and I grew up in the Presbyterian church, and so it was very methodical. Our Father, who art in heaven. And I'm like, can you please just hurry it up? I need to go have snack. And, and I remember sitting there just, our Father, who art in heaven, help you. you know, and I am not paying attention, you know, at all. Or even understanding or appreciating any of the words of this prayer. Um, I was just saying it by rote to get it, to get it over with and get it done. And I think sometimes it's easy to slip into that with this prayer, just praying it by rote. And in the passage of Matthew where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray using the Lord's Prayer, right before it he says in verse 7, this is Matthew 6, 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not use repetition. So Jesus' intent wasn't to give us a prayer that we would just pray by rote. This was Jesus showing them how to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8, pray then in this way. He was giving them direction, not words to pray verbatim. So as Pastor Dan mentioned, this series is Teach Us to Pray. So this is more than just us learning these beautiful verses. We're going to dig into this prayer and take a look at what it is that Jesus is teaching us about how to pray. And this week we're going to be talking about the first two verses in the Lord's Prayer. And this is Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Now these are powerful, powerful scriptures and powerful words of prayer. And in just these two verses, Jesus is teaching us how to pray from several positions. And I don't mean positions like on your knees or sitting or laying on the floor, but positions of your heart. So the very first verse of the Lord's Prayer comes from a position of intimacy. The first part of verse 9 says this, Our Father who is in heaven. So right out of the gate, Jesus is instructing his disciples to refer to God in a very personal way. Now this would have been a bit surprising um, and certainly not the typical way a Jewish person would be addressing God in prayer. And in the Old Testament, God was referred to as Father on occasion, so it wasn't totally unheard of. But this is interesting. In the Old Testament, there are only about ten verses where they refer to God as Father. As a rule, when people spoke of God, it was like addressing a king. They became the king's subjects, but not a son or a daughter. But in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father hundreds of times in the Gospels. And throughout the remainder of the New Testament, Peter and Paul and the other apostles refer to God as Father. Now, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he would have been speaking to them in Aramaic. Jesus and the disciples, they would read Hebrew in the synagogue, but everyday language was Aramaic. And the word for father in Aramaic is Abba, which means daddy or dad. So this is how Jesus would speak of God, as dad. And when the disciples asked him to teach them to pray, the very first thing he teaches them is to address God as our dad. There is this story um, when John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, and he was having a meeting in the Oval Office. And there was many members of his cabinet there, and it's, of course, a very formal setting. And so they refer to him as Mr. President, right, when they're speaking to him. It's very formal. And then suddenly the door to the Oval Office bursts open, and little John runs in because he had somehow gotten away from whoever was watching him. And he comes bounding into the Oval Office with a big smile on his face. And he says, Dad, I'm here! And so often, I think we view God as this distant entity way off in heaven somewhere. And when we speak to him, we have to speak to him with some level of formality in these King James Version prayers. O Lord, if God is, thou art exalted, thy name is, you know, or something like that, very formal, where we feel like we're approaching him on this level of formality and distance, like kind of like how they had to refer to him as Mr. President. We refer to God in this very formal way. But what God seeks from us is an intimate relationship with him. He wants us to approach him as a child approaches their father. He wants us to run into his presence and call him dad. And I want to demonstrate that a little bit for you today to give you a visual. So I have asked Pastor Dan and Ava if they would help me with a sermon illustration. And poor Ava, her dad is even preaching and she gets sucked into being into a sermon illustration. But she's very, very gracious. So Ava, I'm going to have you stand here and then... Pastor Dan, I'm going to have you a little more than social distancing protocols require. There we go. 
Okay, and I, wa- I want you to picture this. Now, their relationship hasn't changed, right? They are still father and daughter. But this is a very different kind of connection between the two of them, right? I mean, they can, they can still say they love each other, right? They can still talk in probably very loud voices and holler at each other. But it's, but it's very different. It's a very different connection. Okay, so now, Ava and Pastor Dan, would you meet in the middle and just hug each other and just stay hugging each other? Right? We all want to say it, go, oh, right? We go, oh, right? I just want you to see this. This visually speaks of a relationship that's totally different. Right? There's a special, amazing intimacy that happens between a father and his daughter. And it's a closeness that we can see in the two of them without them saying a word. This is the picture of what God wants his relationship with you to be like. Like this. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Ava. God does not want us to talk to him as if he was some sort of it. We were created for communion with God. From the beginning of creation, that is the relationship that God has wanted with us. Sin separated us from God. But God the Father sent his only son Jesus to pay the price for those sins so that we could be adopted into the family of God. And Ephesians 1.5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. When Jesus tells us to pray our Father who is in heaven, he is telling us that we are not praying to some impersonal being up in heaven, but to our heavenly Dad, our Abba Father, who loves us and wants an intimate, personal relationship with us. Prayer isn't about taking a position of formal address, but a position of intimacy between a father and and his child, where we can run into his presence and say, Dad, I'm here. The next part of verse 9 says, Hallowed be your name. Now, I just talked about speaking about King James prayers, and here we are saying hallowed. Right now, again, depending on your denomination, you might have said hallowed. Right? And I think I said hallowed because every time I look at this word, I have to tell myself to say hallowed. So I'm going to ask for some grace. If I switch back and forth, I can't help it. For years I said hallowed. Right? But it's certainly not a word that we like use at the grocery store, right? Or in common conversation. Um, I read recently of a little boy that he was praying the Lord's Prayer. And he said, Our Father who is in heaven, how do you know my name? I thought, actually, that's kind of an appropriate prayer, too. I thought it was adorable. But the definition of the word hallowed means to be made holy, consecrated, greatly revered, and honored. And I like how the New Living Translation says this part of verse 9, of hallowed be thy name. May your name be kept holy. Isn't that good? May your name 
be kept holy. Another way to think of it is may your name be honored. So this part of the prayer comes from a position of worship and honor. Now during biblical times, the name of a person was a representation of that person. In Jewish culture, the name of a person was inseparable from them as an individual. And we see this over and over again in scriptures. Your name expressed your inward identity, and it established who you were. So like David, for example, his name, was, his name meant beloved. Right? Joseph was he will add. Moses was deliver. And God even chose to give some people new names to better describe who they were. Like Abram became Abraham, which means the father of many. Simon became Peter, which is the rock. And Saul became Paul, which is humble. And even the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is derived from the meaning to rescue, deliver. So Jesus praying, hallowed be your name, is not just out of respect for God's name, but for God himself. God's name is an expression of who he is. The name of God most often used in the Hebrew Bible is Yahweh, and Yahweh literally means, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. In Exodus it says, God's speaking to Moses, and he says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. My name to remember for all generations. God's name speaks of his supreme sovereignty. He is the I am. He is the one true God. So when we speak his name, we do it with honor and praise and worship. In the Psalms it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It also says in Psalms 104, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. As we pray, we must continually recognize and remember and honor the greatness that is in the name of God. May your name be kept holy. In verse 10, Jesus says, Your kingdom come. Now here, in 2020, we really don't have a lot of kingdoms anymore, certainly not in America. Well, okay, we have the magic kingdom. There's that. But, but we don't really refer to geographical areas as like the kingdom of Washington or the kingdom of America, right? So it might be hard for some to picture what is meant by God's kingdom and what that really looks like. And I read this explanation this week, and I thought it was really good. And it described the kingdom of God as... God's people in God's place under God's rule. Isn't that good? So when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying from a position of expect or anticipation. We are praying, Jesus, I wish you were here on earth right now. And isn't that so true? We have this sense of yearning, of waiting eagerly for the return of Jesus. Because the world we live in is broken and hard. And because the kingdom of this world is led by an enemy who wants to destroy us. 
There are two kingdoms at work in the world. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we fight not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, of mighty powers in this dark world, and of evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the kingdom of God to come and destroy the kingdom of Satan. No matter what is going on in this world, we can remember and stand on that the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Satan. There is no place, there is no situation, and there is no person that is a lost cause. Because Jesus died on the cross and set us free, and he is coming again. There are battles that we face. But we should pray, your kingdom come with anticipation of the victory that comes with God's kingdom on earth. We know it will prevail. Jesus wins. Revelation 21.1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And Paul says in Corinthians, then comes the end when he, referring to Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And because we love the king, we pray for his kingdom to come. So does that mean we pray your kingdom come and then we just sit back on the couch and we just wait for Jesus to come back? Like, okay, Jesus, I've had enough of this world. You're coming back, so I'm just going to wait right here for that to happen. Um, No, no, of course not. When we pray your kingdom come, we should also be praying for the kingdom of God to move in us and through our lives today. It should be a prayer of opportunities for us to bring the kingdom of God to others. Jesus says in Luke 10, 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. As believers in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bring the kingdom of God near. What would our lives look like if we prayed and lived a your kingdom come life? Perhaps it would look like praying for each other and asking the Holy Spirit to use us to heal and to prophesy and to speak words of wisdom over people's lives. Maybe living a your kingdom come life would be standing for the oppressed and the marginalized and the mistreated because God's kingdom includes every nation and tribe and people and language. Maybe living a kingdom, your kingdom come life would mean being used by God to conquer hearts and win souls in the name of Jesus. Because every time a child give their, gives their heart to Jesus, the kingdom comes. Every time an addict is set free from addiction and follow Jesus, the kingdom comes. Every time someone who is hurting is healed, the kingdom comes. And every time a person, despite their past, is shown God's love and grace and receives forgiveness of their sin, the kingdom comes. The power in daily living for Jesus means praying your kingdom come can be a prayer that changes the world. So it is not, not only is our heart in a position of anticipation due to the Lord's coming, but an anticipation of the Holy Spirit using us 
to bring His kingdom to those who are in need of a Savior. And finally, the last part of verse 10 says this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our final heart position is a position of surrender. Now, if you remember the description earlier of God's kingdom, it was God's people in God's place under God's rule. Under God's rule, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven, God reigns. Right? All the heavenly angels are under his rule. So when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying we want things to operate here the same way that they operate in heaven. Now, that might make us hesitate for just a second. We might like, wait a minute, ruling, ruling over us. I might just hesitate that for a minute. Because when we think of somebody ruling over us, we are thinking in the world's way of ruling. People of authority make rules, and sometimes we do not like those rules. And we sometimes feel those rules are not fair. And we really like to talk about what is fair and what is not fair. Now, maybe when you were a kid or as a parent you've done this, but in my house, when it came time for dessert and there was like one piece of dessert left and you had to share with your sibling, whoever cut the dessert, the other sibling got to pick which piece they got, right? So I, when it was, if I was doing the cutting, I was really sure. I had that brownie and I am like, you know, where's the measuring tape? Where the, every, I'm going to make sure that that brownie is cut right down the middle. Even Stephen, because I wanted to make sure that I got my fair share. But what is fair? Fair is subjective to the individual. And often our perception of fair means that I am telling you that you need to come under my condition of what fair is. And the world It's not fair. But God's rule cannot be defined in the same way as man's. As humans, we are fallen, and we are sinful, and we are broken, and there are people that are in positions of authority that create rules out of selfish desires, not for the good of others. But God is gracious and just, and His will is perfect. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for Him. Our hearts need to submit to God's rule, which is faithful and just and righteous. And we pray to God and say, your will be done. But sometimes I think we really mean, my will be done. And I know I have had those prayers with God. Here, Lord, is what I want you to do. And this is what I need you to have happen. And if you would just do it this way, everything will be great. Thanks, Lord. Bye. Right? And God wants us to come to him. But are we laying our prayers and petitions at his feet saying, your will be done Or are we trying to tell God what to do? Are we truly saying to God, bring about what you want in my life, not what I want? Because if we 
were to honestly pray this prayer, I think sometimes it would sound like, your will be done just so long as it's comfortable for me. As humans, we naturally gravitate towards ourselves, towards our will being done. But if we submit to God's reign, we have to submit to God's will. Our hearts need to be hearts of surrender. And Paul says this in Romans 12, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Jesus is teaching us that by praying, your will be done, we are praying to align ourselves with God's desires for our life. And we can pray that with confidence. We are praying to our Father, our Dad. A Father who loves His children so much that He sent His Son to die for us. And Jesus, on that path to the cross, modeled this position of surrender. In Luke 22, He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but Yours be done. And I heard this quote this week, and I loved it, and it's by Andrew Murray, and he says this, Wherever faith has accepted the Father's love, obedience accepts the Father's will. We have to choose to take a position of surrender, setting our own will aside, turning our hearts to the Father, and allowing Him to have His way in us. Worship team, could I have you guys come? And as I come, I would like to reflect on these powerful instructions that Jesus gave us and think of these positions that we should place our hearts as we pray. So our Father who is in heaven, it's a position of intimacy. As we pray, let us remember that we come before our heavenly Dad who desires an intimate relationship with us. Hallowed be your name, a position of honor and worship. And as we pray, let us remember to keep his name holy and praise and worship his mighty name. Your kingdom come is a position of anticipation. As we pray, let us remember to not only anticipate His kingdom coming on earth, but to ask that the Holy Spirit would use us to bring the kingdom to those who need Jesus. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a position of surrender. And as we pray, let us turn our hearts to Jesus, surrender our will, and ask the Lord, to bring about what He wants in our lives. And I'd like to take a moment to pray these verses, uh, just these two verses of the Lord's Prayer together as we enter into this time of worship. 
And as we speak these words, let's think of God our Father. Let us praise his holy name. We pray for his kingdom to come and that we would surrender to his will for our lives. So would you pray this with me? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.